Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 308, Games Are Art, Designing Through an Artist's Lens. Presented by Kurt Covert and Julia Hearn. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> All right. Welcome. Welcome uh, to Designing Through an Artist's Lens, Games Are Art. Welcome, yes. Indeed. Hello. Uh, well. And, and, <laughs> and, and if this was the, the uh, panel you wanted to listen to, awesome. Stay tuned. I'm Julie, and uh, I am the Vice President and COO of Greenbrier Games, and we make a whole lot of horror-themed, either fantasy horror, gothic horror, campy horror, straight horror horror games. So uh, we are pretty deep in the thematic game-making business. But you make horror games? I do. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it turns out... Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Kurt Covert. I'm the owner of Smirk and Dagger Games, and um, we are also pretty invested in games that um, create an experience at the table that you actually feel something uh, through play. So for 14 years, that was all like gnashing of teeth and backstabbing goodness. Um, and of course, now it's a, a much broader palette as well. Uh, but I guess that makes us a pretty decent team to talk about, uh, you know, games as art and... Um, so we're now going to put up the pretentious slide. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here it is. This All is right. our so, very pretentious description. Mm-hmm. Of, of what we're going to be talking about. Correct. If you feel like reading it. Right. But really, the, the reason that um, we put this uh, together was, um, I think, when, when people approach game design, they, they do so in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and very often... Um, uh, it, it can be mathematical, uh, mechanical, you know, there, there's there's a lot of ways to kind of come in. Do you come in on mechanic first? Do you come in on theme first? Um, and the way that you approach game design can kind of set the tone for the game and the result of the game. And one of the things that um, I think we, we kind of agree on is that if you, if you view game design through an artist's lens, if you think about games as a, an actual art form, then the way that you approach design is actually a little different. So this is one way you can kind of stretch your uh, your tool set to approach game design in a different way. Um, and um, I don't know, do you, do you have anything else you want to add about the intro here? No, I think you covered it really well. Just that's, you know, our, our take tends to be a go-to of how does it make you feel yeah. when we play, as opposed to 
what was the card count or what was the balance or and right. so therefore you know that is also something that is a parallel to a lot of art which leads us into the next slide okay so um what is art um Maybe don't and therefore me. don't hurt me no more <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's great um <laughs> Uh, so actually, like, truly, the definition of art has changed over the centuries. Um, and it is constantly open. It's debatable. It's completely subjective. And yet there is something almost um, almost ethereal about it. Yeah. And, like, originally Plato was like, oh, you know, art is imitation of nature. When you, when you are creating... Uh, a painting or a sculpture, you are trying to imitate that which already ex exists. Uh, but then, you know, photography came and you didn't have to, that was not great as a description of art anymore or a goal of art anymore. Uh, so it morphed and then it was more about like, well, it's a, it's a work that's primarily just, you know, beauty or, or appreciated for its emotional power overall. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, any artist over this over the entire history of creation you can look back to paintings in caves were going to mean something different to each generation iteration that found them to come and once the artist let it go what that is is not just uh, what it meant of that time but how we interpret it for millennia well that's true and and so especially in like the, the modern, uh, modern world of art, uh, it's, it's less about um, what the outside world is and representing it, but a lot of it's the inside world of the artist and, and uh, a sense of the feelings that they have, sharing them so others can experience them. But you're right, we interpret those through our own filters in the end. Um, but all of this, you know, if you think about, you know, film, if you think about, um, uh, books, scripts, sculptures, all of this has some really interesting deep human center that is emotionally based. And, and I think that's when we start talking about, well, how do you design through an artist's lens? How can we re relate all this to board games and designing for them? That's fair. And so talking about art is something that has evolved from a reflection of nature into evoking um, a feeling and emotion, conveying the spirit of a time, uh, creating a snapchat or a picture or of of that reality as it existed at that time. So so do board games. Mm -hmm. um, you can see it in I think to a certain degree in all game board games regardless of the genre, yeah. when you think about the evolution, you know, when you see in waves, when everything was uh, a pastoral Euro game, you know, um, when you see how many RPGs, you know, were based out of Dungeons and Dragons and then evolved into something that's more narrative driven, you can still see a snapshot of an era. But specifically, we're talking more about thematic and emotional driven games, I think, here. Right, and, and, and game design and, and how to view the creative process by which you get to them. 
Um, and uh, certainly every game has like some sort of aesthetic, um, you know, that be that from, you know, cover art, illustrations, the, cho- the story that kind of sets the tone of the game. But some games like a Euro, it's kind of just, you know, lightly kind of placed over top. It's a, like more of an overlay to the mechanics um, where I think what where we really love to build games is to really make sure that we are weaving those in a way that it's really hard to separate them. The mechanics and the theme um, are all built towards a purpose. And that purpose is to give someone an emotional experience, a story driven experience, uh, an immersive experience where the mechanics fade to the background because you're too focused on being in the game to worry about what I'm actually moving. I know that what I'm doing is in the world of the game um, and I'm being affected by that world. True. All right. So, um, right. So you want to talk about this a little bit? (laughs) Um, I think we kind of, I mean, we did. We, we already talk kind of about talked it. about it. Yeah. But we also, but we're talking about it from the other end. So we're talking, we were talking about it from the perception of it as, as somebody playing a game. This is more talking about, so how do you do that? Uh, how do you approach a game? If you're going to approach a game that is a Euro, you do have to be very focused on the balancing of it. Mm-hmm. The experience is to be able to calculate the math to figure out your paths to victory and everybody else's and try to figure out the most efficient way to do so so that you can do better than everyone else that mm-hmm. is the basic breakdown of your you know from carcassonne and agricola to smartphone and <laughs> you know they all that's that is their their primary drive and you right. put and a so lot they, of themes to it. But so, so, they, so I was going to say, they start with the engine though first, right? Absolutely. Uh, it is the engine, it, correct. So when you're designing it, you're thinking about that that math and the balance and seeing you know, if something is going to make somebody a breakaway winner, which makes that, that's going to detract from the competition nature of the game, not really the theme of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who d- designs more thematically, you're, you almost, you start with an emotion. You say, you know, what, what do I want the players to feel? Yeah. How do I want them to, how do I want all of the actions that they do to reinforce those feelings and what's going to detract from it once I start playtesting? Exactly. Um, and, and not just, uh, not just how they feel, but also how you, how you create funnels for them to like, you know, re- how they're going to behave, you know, your, your reward systems and your punishment systems are, are there to actually encourage types of behaviors or create decisions that, um, are both, you know, that they have some mathematical you know, uh, game mechanic things, but you're also trying to invest those decisions and make them hard choices for more of a human perspective as well. 
Um, and and that's where we see a lot of interesting things. Like, you know, again, if we're, if we're building uh, games that have emotions, these decisions get fed um, with those types of emotions. And that's why uh, it starts being less about the pieces and more about the the, act, the activity of playing the game. So, um, and, and as this one says right here, you know, uh, you can always create a market game. Um, you can create a better market game by coming up with a really interesting mathematical, you know, uh, new way to, to do that. Right. Or you can approach from like the net result for the players. How do you want them to feel? And it's like, well, gameplay is about scarcity. How do those tough choices and in a hardship and our tough choices in, in this setting that you've established. And now the theme is not just layered on top. Now the way the things that you build into that game are going to be specifically related to that setting and to the hard choices that that setting is going to put you through. Um, and that becomes the lead decision on what goes in the game. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that um, I, I did was I pulled some, some interesting quotes from, uh, from artists who are really just talking about their process as artists. Now, these are painters and sculptors and all kinds of things, so they're not game uh, developers. But there's something I think we can take away maybe from some of these things. So this quote is from, uh, from Max uh, Kostenko. Um, the most important thing is a basic idea. Sometimes I get in my head a general sense of the result, and so I begin with the big shapes, placing them into composition. When I've got the result, I start to color it, and in the end, I complete the final details. So when I hear an artist talk about how they're, uh, in this case, you know, he's talking about painting uh, a, a picture, um, but I think this is this is also how I approach game design. I start with the idea. I start with the big picture of what I want that experience to be. I, I have a general sense of the flow of the game, the narrative of how I want people to experience this subject matter. I, I put in like the big plot points uh, that sets the kind of like flow of the game. And once I've got mechanics that kind of lead me and the other players through that, then you can add color. Then you can put the fine details that, you know, create everything just as it ends up being in the end. And then the mathematical balance in many cases for me um, is, did this feel feel right? Like, I, I'm not doing like, you know, how many cards achieve this thing, but as I'm playing it, did that thing that I want happen enough or happen big enough or small enough? Um, so, Julie, do you have any comments on this one? So, yes, I agree, big picture. What I find interesting is my process is I at the beginning and the end and the bookends. Okay. When I I I do much better designing with a partner. I've discovered <laughs> because I do that. I start with the big idea and what kind of feels I want. And here's point A. Here's point B. Here's point C. And we got to get to D. Yeah. And then, but I like somebody who is a here's an idea. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Throw spaghetti at the wall type of person mm. because. To me, that's, uh, and a lot of times that is so that they can give me broad strokes to fill in. So I guess the big shapes. Yeah. It. 
so that I can stay focused on the fine tuning of it after the fact of, is that getting the emotion I'm looking for? Yeah. And stay true to the big picture. Um, so I find that if I can stay, it's, it's a lot of tiny adjustments of, of that idea so that I can stay kind of removed and not get so attached to the idea that I can stay true to the, what I wanted the feeling to be at the beginning. And I work best when somebody who can't see the forest from the trees dives in and I can stay back and, and look at it from a bigger picture, which is kind of like that when I do the design myself, I find that I lose that big picture because I, when I dive in. So I find that that works for me. Yeah. And I find a similar thing too, when you actually take your game out, um, you know, you, you've already kind of like, you've got the, it's, it's all roughed out. It feels generally right to you, but then you put it in front of play testers who don't know you and you start seeing how they experience it. And that's when you can really start pulling, pushing and pulling the levers saying, Oh, you know what? There's not enough dramatic tension in here or not enough people are doing this behavior that I hope they will. And now I've got to either sweeten the pot so they do it or like increase the, the, the kind of pain on the other end for not doing it or those kind of things. Or this, uh, this, this worked like I thought it would, but the results or the resulting emotion, the resulting exchange was completely unintentional of how I thought people were going to react to it. Yes. Um, those are always fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a great quote <laughs> from David Hockney. Um, Art has to move you, and design does not, unless it's a good design for a bus. Um, this kind of sums <laughs> up my my vision for like the difference between you know typical like Euro style games and more like uh, thematic style games. Um, a really great Euro doesn't have to engage you emotionally. It still gets you where you want to go, and it can be appreciated just for being a great bus. Um, an artistic, you know, lens says that, you know, somehow the game has to move you in some way emotionally for it to really connect with the human aspect and tell a story. So, uh, and there's purpose for both. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, be because I can say that playing a Zool or any kind of abstract game helps me my brain go to a place when i feel like there's there's too many thoughts in my head and i need to focus on pattern building just to disengage because i've mm. i've worked myself into a corner with something of my design or you know what we're doing in the company i will disengage and play an abstract board game and there's a purpose to that um the whole point though is the purpose for me is to engage just that pattern building and disengage my emotions. Yeah. So, so to then have something that is driving you emotionally so that you make choices that are maybe counterintuitive to the math of the game right. is a totally different thing and super fun and completely interesting to me, which is why those are the games that we make. Right. And, and quite honestly, like I, I too, I really enjoy playing euros and abstracts um it's just not something i'm good at at building um like i i i instantly want to to get 
get some kind of reaction out of people. And as a designer, like I, I feel like satisfied when the feeling around the table is exactly what I'd hoped to, to, to bring to all these people. Um, and I feel, I feel like an artist delivering a performance every time the table hits and the performance, just like if you're an actor is always different. Even if the script is the same, the audience and their reaction makes it new and fresh, which is why I never get bored demoing my games. That's great. I'm Isn't glad. Yeah. All right. Um, a central tenet of artistic creation is the dichotomy between the desire of the uni to be universal, yet at the same time, individual and unique. This is a great quote by uh, David Liebman. And one of the reasons that I threw this out here is because when you design a game um, through this kind of artistic lens, you end up touching on something uh, that is very un universal. Emotions are universal to, 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 to people, to humans, um, but everyone experiences them through their own personal lens or even their cultural lens. Um, and therefore, you know, you're, you're also taking a lot of that into account. And when you're observing playtesters, uh, you are letting them inform you about how some of those um, personal influences, um, you know, how they translate what you maybe thought was a universal feeling. You're seeing how other people experience it and either broaden or tighten uh, as, as, a, as a means of moving the design forward. So I'm having a lot of fun thinking about this because you see so so many times uh, the struggle of well this is like uh, this is a game that's like Carcassonne mm -hmm. but it has da 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 and you hear a publisher say please don't describe it to another game what makes it or what makes it different and unique and removing the the mechanisms or even though because we do i mean we have a set number of them that we all know that we can go to that well and do variations on but say this is a game that evokes the emotions like this other game but in it's a very different way to make it universal Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on, again, the math, uh, we all feel sadness in our own way. We all feel joy in our own way. We all experience giddy happiness in our own way. But still, those are universal things. So if you're saying my game is universal because laughing until, you know, you snort <laughs> is a universal sign of joy. <laughs> and that's what I'm going for. It kind of removes that very difficult way of, of, of trope of, oh, well, it's like, and trying to pick another game to compare it to. Yeah. Good on you. I like that quote. All right. Okay. So this is a long one. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to read it anyway, because I think this one's important. Okay. Uh, a successful artistic statement, in this case, our game, right, mm -hmm. should include emotional as well as technical content to be fully balanced. The full range of human emotions, love, sadness, joy, anger, provide the source of material from which an artist draws to create, while the intensity of one's passion fuels the process. 
How an artist balances emotion and technique in relation to one of the primary aesthetic principles of artistic creation, which is tension and release, is a major factor contributing towards the success of a work of art. I love this quote, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know that I could have talked about um, art uh, like a painting and use these words, but it absolutely speaks to me as a developer of games with an artistic bent, because um, certainly as a designer, you absolutely have passion for your project that you are fueling, you're putting into the, the, the project. Um, in an artistic, you know, envisioned game, you're actually playing with human emotions. You are, you're trying to create a feeling and a sense of an experience. And the idea of tension and release is beautiful. Um, I wouldn't have used those words, but it's absolutely true for creating games with a dramatic arc. Even if it's not like a purely artistic, you know, uh, emotionally based game, the dynamics of a game, the, the, the arc of how the game, you know, develops and the, the tension of, oh, am I gonna- Operation. Operation, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, or, or even, even like a, an, an engine builder, where you know, you know, can I get the right things I need? And that, oh, I finally got the thing. It's this is like the the punishment and reward system of every game is based on this idea of tension and release. And Absolutely. those that tension creates the interest. That release is the emotional reward, the little tidbit you get that says, oh my god, I'm having fun. Right? That is the core of how you're building. Um, an effective and and powerful game for your players. Yeah, I honestly, it's it's a great way, and it's funny that you say because I can think of examples in pure like painting, sculpture, where where you're more talking about uh, where the eye travels, but mm. it, it does seem almost tailor made more for uh, something more active, such as a board game design which is a fun, super fun way of, of thinking about it. And I can think of, like, when you think about it in those terms, you suddenly get so many games in your head where this description makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, and what the tension is, it can be the interaction with the game, but more interestingly, it's also how you're playing off the other players. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's actually move into this next phase. So I'm going to let you kick this off. All right. So we were talking, you know, we, we came up with a lot of different, uh, types of emotion and then tried to group things thinking about what, what do they have in common, which isn't to say they're all exactly the same type of game. Absolutely not. Uh, but what are they trying to evoke? So with uh, Jenga, Mysterium, Nyctophobia, and, uh, a uh what yeah you were you made a noise oh i didn't mean to sorry oh <laughs> what were they trying to evoke um and at this point also were there any questions so far in the chat we're doing such a good job there are no questions i think <laughs> no the disembodied voice has no questions to announce that is just fine Okay. That's really fantastic. No, we're just entertaining. That's all. 
so right. So I would say, um, you know, grouped into into this uh, assortment of games, um, we're, we're talking about games that have been playing with the ideas of evoking tension, uh, fear, uh, mystery, suspense. You know, um, these are all the the emotional reactions that people uh, want you to have. That's where the fun of the games uh, in this category actually lie. And so they each use different mechanics in order to, to achieve that feeling um, and heighten tension. And then again, it was like, you know, set the tension up. And then what is the, what is the final release? What is the big payoff? Um, So uh, do you want, you want to take any one of these? Well, yeah. So I, just looking at it, and it's also very fun because so you have Jenga and Nyctophobia, which do very physically set up the tension. Um, where, you know, so for Jenga, of course, it's, are you going to knock over the tower? Yeah. Which, having been with my nieces and nephews and being at, like, places that have the giant Jenga towers that are made mm-hmm. out of blocks, and they're, like, way down low, and I'm like, please don't let that fall He's only to fall on their head. I don't want to go to the hospital today. <laughs> it's a real tension. It's a it's a thing. And it's but the same thing with Nystophobia, where you are physically having your hand placed and waiting to feel something that tells you that you've been caught, or you know, like it's there's a there's an actual physical, <laughs> like even describing it, my shoulder blade, I can feel yeah. like, you know, everything tense up. Um, well, and, and for those like who don't know Nyctophobia, it's a game you play with a blindfold, reaching out blindly to touch these molded pieces on the board, and you don't know where the killer is. Right. Um, and so there's the tension of, like, if you've ever played the Halloween game where you're reaching into a box and you don't, like, know, like... It's like grapes. Yeah, the Right. It's building off of that same thing that we... The thrill we had as kids, imagining the situation that we're in. Um, and that that ties to something very base and primal uh, in us as humans. Um, and the fact that, you know, yeah, there's one killer, and if you're reaching out, they can suddenly make a noise as you're reaching to really even reach out more. Right. And, and Mysterium does that emotionally almost, like, in parallel. I could c- compare the feeling of them because uh, these are both games that, so, for example, playing with my niece, 11, 12, 13 years old with all her friends and they're all very, you know, it's very giggly and very like mm-hmm. sudden shrieks and everybody laughs and everything too because they want that heightened sense of drama without an actual fear, actual reality fearful exchange or something more gory. They just want that feeling of tension. That's, that's their go-to for something exciting. So to have them, but Mysterium, of course, you're trying to get... Uh, your, your, the ghost is trying to get all of the mediums to guess and isolate who, um, you know, what the who the murderer was, what weapon, where, what part of the the haunted house it's in, using these abstract art pieces. So the tension becomes as the clock counts down. Am I getting the right answers? Have I interpreted these correctly? Is everybody else going, you know, giving me good advice or bad advice? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, for the ghost, the tension is: <laughs> Why aren't they getting my clues? Because um, <laughs> you're not supposed to talk. And inevitably, yeah. I'm, I'm always the ghost when I play with twelve-year-olds. And even that can be super fun because you know I'm I'm I play it very straight. I'm not allowed to talk, and I will bang and I will rattle things to 
to get them to stop talking, but I will never say anything in my you know the face the whole time to, to to add to that tension. And of course, it's all so it has still without being as physical still creates that tension of like when somebody's trying to communicate with you and isn't allowed to talk. There's a tension there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the same thing with the uh, the escape the uh, the aliens from the outer space. Um, so much like nyctophobia, that's it's a hidden information game where uh, you essentially have like a, a, a grid, and you are trying to avoid the aliens, and the aliens are trying to track you down. You don't know where the aliens are, and it's a hidden movement game. And so every time you move, you're like, oh, oh god, all right, and and, and so. There's just this sense of dread that comes along with it, uh, which is great. And, and by the way, speaking of dread, like the fact that we have Jenga here, there's, it's like two double hit because not only is Jenga just fun and has tension all alone, but the brilliance of the role playing game Dread was they used a Jenga tower for every skill check. You have to like draw a tile, put it on top, and if it like tumbles, like that's that's a, a critical fail. So it's. Um, but all, all of these things are using narrative, uh, mechanics, uh, physicality, um, interactions between players, all to create the world of the game so that they're not just pieces. You are playing concepts. You are playing um, emotionally with players. Uh, you're having a physical or, or uh, emotional response in reaction to, to those uh, triggers. And all of those were carefully planned by designers who wanted you to feel that way. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. More, more, more options? Yes. Okay, let's go on. All right, so let's, let's, talk, about, uh, let's talk about this. Go ahead. Um, so <laughs> My, my very favorite game of yours, uh, Before There Were Stars and Holding On the Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. Mm. Uh, now, what these have in common, because they are two very different games, uh, yeah. but what they have in common is a shared experience uh, mm. among the players So that, that involves a narrative. So there is this creating a story um, as a group or, or as a collective that makes you feel like you've gone through a journey together mm. um, so that by the end of the game, you've had this shared experience that you don't usually, that, that you don't usually experience in a gameplay, but yeah. is more often experienced in um, either, you know, a shared trauma sometimes or like a very dramatic event of, of you know, more of a group psyche uh, that, that happens. And yeah. so, so. So how would, how do you think holding on, like kind of solve that challenge or, or what do you think the designers were thinking about as they were building these mechanics? So the, I find it fascinating. Uh, this game fascinates me, not just because playing it is just, okay, so background playing it, you are allotting like it's resource management game okay there is a track so billy kerr is it you know in the emergency room there was a plane crash he is critically injured coming in and out of consciousness 
no way to really know where his family, where he's from, where, you know, because he says he's coming from Australia, but he sounds like he's Irish. He's, mm. and he's out of it. But when he is cognizant, he seems very reluctant for you to contact his loved ones and he won't explain why. Mm. So it's this balance of resource management, of taking care of him physically and trying to get extract information within which takes an emotional toll and also trying to take care of him emotionally. So that's all of the balancing of resources and you're doing it by allotting uh, nurses and different caregivers who also take on this toll of, of, of having to deal with him and, and pushing him, but seeing how that hurts him and taking on an emotional strain of that and also just the hours of working. Um, so if they push their time, now they're working overtime, they're also tired, they're and having to pull them out. So it's all of this resource management, but all the resource management is based around a human, the concept of a human life. And what does it mean to have empathy and also be a caregiver? And as you uncover more information, you get these pictures and you can see that he had a very difficult life and you're not sure how you feel about him. So it's all of these things that if you buy into the emotion of it, it's hard. And if you are purely a Euro game, you are upsetting everybody else at the table. <laughs> because you are just optimizing. Re right. And you right. haven't bought into the fact that the pieces actually melt away and they become right. objects that propel a story. Correct. So it is fascinating to me because I have played where we had to stop in the middle of the game and go play separate games with two different parties having to go away from each other for a while. Really? And before they could come back and have a conversation about why they were so upset with the other party for behaving the way they did. Interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, friends, people who like each other and care about each other and spend time with each other on a regular basis. But this particular game hits so when you, you know, like, it's so fascinating to me because on the one hand, it is a resource management more of a Euro style game. And on yeah. the other hand, it really is about buying into the storytelling of it while so that you're making or resource management decisions sometimes for the sake of the narrative. Right. So let me ask you a question then before we move on to the other game, because yeah. so what is the value of creating a game like that? Like, where is the fun in that emotional struggle like for, for so people, for people, who, people for pe right for some people there is none right there is no fun it is absolutely a game that but it is so compelling if so if you're somebody who likes tv dramas if you're somebody who likes uh dramatic movies or movie documentaries you're going to actually buy into this because this is this the engagement is about having a conversation about what does human life mean and what does it mean to be a caregiver and what kind of care is good caregiving? Yeah. All important questions. Um, if you're somebody who just wants to laugh and fill and like, this is not the game for you at all whatsoever. But, but if, if you want to invest yourself in a cinematic experience and, and, and put yourself in that movie being, you know, managing these caregivers and, and caring about what's what's at stake. Right. That's a really unique game experience that 
moves us beyond resource management to something that it, we'll be talking about for years. Right. And I've played, and, the, I've played it. So both of these games are games I have played so many times. So clearly this is a style of game that I find compelling. Yeah. Um, so the other, before there were stars, oh, good. let me explain to you how to play it. <laughs> how about you tell everybody how to Sure. Well, so Before There Were Stars is um, it's a um, it's a storytelling game, you know, actually telling stories where you are an ancient lore giver of your people being inspired by the constellations um, and um, you're telling creation myths. And what's kind of neat about this game that it's twofold. One, there is something just like human emotion is kind of core and primal to humans. Mythology is equally so. Um, we are raised with mythology, and, and depending on our culture, it's a little different, but we're exposed to a lot of different mythologies. And um, so we kind of just intrinsically know what a myth is and how to tell one. Um, so there's something universal about that. And now we're going to tell unique versions of our story. So again, that universal and the unique coming together to make a really interesting experience where we're sharing something universal from very individual point of views. Um, and in this game, your stories are only told by you. No one else is messing with them. So you are telling the story you want to tell, which is also very rewarding for people. Um, but the critical part of this game that I think put it into the next uh, you know, level was that we built a mechanic uh, into the game that was intended to make sure people experience the game the way we hoped you would experience it. At the end, talking about everyone's stories and essentially rewarding their creativity. So the game asks you to reward people's creativity by, by offering you know, minor tokens of appreciation. Um, and it creates this, this feeling at the end, even if you were unsure of how, how you were gonna perform as a storyteller, you heard a bunch of really cool stories that you really appreciated and people told you that they liked some of the things that you created. So you walk away with this heartwarming feel and you're like, this was a really cool experience. And a collective, and a collective experience. Like it, yeah. I think that's it. it. I have played this with so many de demographics. So unlike holding on, I can pull this out and play it with the most, hardcore Euro gamers who will reluctantly agree because I, you know, am persistently charming. Um, <laughs> to little kids, all different walks of life. Yeah. And you go through, and no matter how creative, how um, natural a narrator they are, it, it doesn't really matter because at some point, there is a magic moment where they make a connection in their brain that that is something you hadn't thought of and they see that you hadn't thought of it and they did and everybody like it's whether it's laughter or sadness they like where they where yes you feel validated yeah. for for your thought process which yeah. goodness how, how nobody doesn't like that i mean that's right <laughs> that right. that's that's the spice of life so I can play it with anybody. And at the end of it, everybody like from, I love it to, yeah. Okay. Like that's yeah, <laughs> but this no, was better than I thought it would be. Yeah. 
but but being like, hey, do you want to play it again? There's always a, also a, yeah, okay. Like yeah. from the from, that's that's the latest I get to absolute. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, and of course, I get some amazing. My nieces have it and are very creative minds in and of themselves. So sometimes I get photographs of them mid storytelling oh, and the big cool. wide expressions and the you know the reactions in the background from the other people listening to whatever their ridiculous story is is phenomenal so even not being a part of it i get to enjoy it yeah all right well let's take a look at our next page here yeah all right so big ideas here right so <laughs> why don't you start sure yeah yeah high. So, um, so these are games, um, like, you know, fuse and survive that are, are absolutely based on tension. And I think it's true of Z apocalypse too. Again, it's the, it's the tension and release and the, the punishment and reward systems that uh, the designers have built into these games that again, they are trying to create a mood, a feeling, or even just like this end reaction. Um, so, Fuse, for example, um, you know, you are you're rolling dice and trying to set up patterns, and you've only got the clock. Obviously, a timer is a great way, all mechanic, to set up tension. You can create a, a a a euro can be a thrilling game if you put a timer on it, and now you don't have to consider like it throws you into a frenzy. Um, so anything that that puts the pressure of time can really heighten tension. And if that is what you're looking for, great opportunity. Very good. And so Zpocalypse being one of my designs, the tension uh, of and timer is you're adding more zombies and you're adding more zombies and you're at, so you're doing a daytime phase where you're doing tower of defense. You're trying to go find food and scavenge for like, you're, you're trying to build a fortification yeah. before the onslaught of the zombies. And the tension is everything you're doing adds more to the board, adds more. So it's this, I know I have to go do something, but at some point I'm going to hit that tipping point and how much can I do? And is it worth it? And is it going to be that one thing that creates the onslaught and are we ready for? Right. Well, and again, so then, we talked about a cinematic experience. I mean, if, if you if you look at any any zombie film or a TV show, like you know, that's the experience that these characters are going through. They need to forage. They need to reinforce. They need to do all the things, just you know, to to fortify themselves. But they put themselves at risk by doing so. That's the dramatic tension of those shows. And you have you recreated that experience so that we can jump into the game and play it. We can live it as those characters. And that's exactly what we're trying to talking about. Uh, so if you are, if you are designing with the story in mind, with the characters reactions in mind, with the tensions that they have to be feeling in conceptual form that you can find mechanics to support and cause those as triggers. That's how you are designing differently than a purely mathematical game. You are looking for how does this feel like the experience I'm trying to simulate. And right. that is the different lens that we're talking about. Um, where survive is actually, it's 
It's got uh, it's got a tension, but it's less of a deeply immersive uh, story arc. Um, here, here, this is um, this is a, a game that is is more about. Um, it's a little bit more take that. It's a little bit more uh, player interaction and. Um, uh, how am I going to try to advantage my self tension as I'm also going to like set pit traps for you and to start shrinking your your island and sinking your people? Um, there's there's a joy uh, in in that, um, and so there there that that build was really looking for the player interaction, the the, the reward system of I've I've saved I've gotten my people safely and I'm going to doom yours, and so uh, but. You know, all of these are, are are experiences that have been tailor made, and the mechanics serve that feeling. <coughs> all right. So, oh, speaking of which, <laughs> here's a whole bunch of backstabby games. <laughs> um. So obviously, I have uh, I have a lot of background in the in the art of the backstab. Um, uh, my my whole uh, view on gaming world actually started with was or Tom Jolly's game, um, and, uh, and quite honestly, Magic the Gathering from that too because it was one of the first games that was a lot of action reaction you know counteraction yep. um, through Wizwar where the joy of the game was getting the best of someone else, sealing them behind a wall, giggling as you ran away with their treasure. All of that is just hysterically fun. And all of these are built on a very interesting human um, duality. It, it, uh, the Germans had a great word for Schadenfreude, where you, um, it's, it's the act of taking delight in the misfortune of others. Correct. And for whatever reason, as humans, we find that amusing. <laughs> it's it's why we watch videos of skateboarders wrecking, right? It's you, you well, just, the flipping on a banana peel, the yeah, all of that, yeah. Right. Um, so um, so when I had an opportunity to like create my my own versions of of you know this kind of social experiment, um, Cutthroat Caverns was of course the one. That, that I made and was inspired by a real life uh, situation where I had come from a role-playing group that was, you know, Tolkien-esque and everyone helps everyone uh, to a college group that was anything but. And I was far more afraid of the people I was playing with than the DM and anything they could dish out. And that feeling of horror and that, you know, I wanted to build a game that actually had that feeling and sustained it throughout the game. So I was creating not only just a story arc and flow where I needed people to work together, we need the tension of we will all die if we don't work together with creating all these um, all these behavioral honeypots that are going to reward just you, but at the potential doom of everyone, including you. Because if too many people die too soon, you're all going to die. But the only way to win is if you betray other people eventually. So it's a wonderful social experiment. We, we sit and we play this game and we look around the table. We see the different personalities. I can identify, there are probably a good 10 to 12 ways that people deal with this game. There is someone who is like, the, you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm super protective. There's someone who is like a tit for tat. You do it to me. I'm coming after you. There's a grudge fest that I'm just coming after you. All these kind of different things like come up as the meta game. Meta gaming. Let's talk about that in the emote space. Yeah. Right? Um, meta gaming is wonderful because you bring things from the past into your game. Um, you know, grudges or other things, and now it becomes. It's a psychological experiment when you put a whole bunch of these tools in the sandbox. Um, you create behavioral funnels that you know um, are are going to either you know punish or reward players for various activities. And in a backstabbing game, by rewarding people by to, to be terrible to other people, there is this cathartic thing. In normal life. We're not horrible people. No, actually, it's funny that you say that because it is our go-to in our company to play backstabbing games. It's pretty much exclusively what we play when we're together. Yeah. And it absolutely is that we work with each other. We're also friends. We've known each other forever. You spend a lot of time maintaining those friendships, like like, yeah. and like a marriage after like anything that has longevity. You spend a lot of time making sure that you are careful, that you're considerate, that you're thoughtful, because, you know, after a while, you just, you know, all you know what's going to set somebody off, you know, so you spend a lot of time doing that. And the way we can get out those internal, you know, oh, it drives me nuts when you do that. We don't do it, to, you know, it, that is a very great way to not hold on to those grudges or show them in a way that's fun and it's in the game and then the game is over and we're done and it doesn't matter. Well, so it, and not only that, it's, you know, we love the villains on screen, right? Yep. When we watch a movie, half the time we're rooting for the villain. Darth Vader is awesome, right? We want to root for... They get more interesting choices. Exactly. And while we would never in life do anything horrible that a villain character would do, in the setting of a game... We can, and we can thrill to those things right. in a very safe and controlled environment where, hey, it's just a game. Right. Absolutely. Um, so in, you know, in, in smaller senses, uh, the resistance with, you know, the, the hidden traitor economic cockroach right. poker where it's all about bluffing and, and getting to take the bait. I mean, we thrill to these things. And Absolutely. it's those emotional experiences that drive the fun of all these games. Absolutely. I got. I guess I got a little excited there. <laughs> well, it's funny because you know, like the Barbarian Battlegrounds and Tales of Barbaria, which yeah. I was, you know, our games and I Tales of Barbaria. I I designed, co-designed. I was playing last night, and it was a very conscious. Who can I now that I? I mean, obviously I've played it many more times than everybody else. So whose buttons can I push, and who do I need to make sure that exactly because they're new? So the frustration. I can't get back at her as well or efficiently because she knows the game too well. I have to you know, make sure that there's a learning curve first. Well, so again, so there's the metagame, right? Um, right? There, one of your mechanics is not actually the game. It's the interaction with between players. You know, there, there, there you, you, are, you are working, you know, with psychology of people at the table to cause them to react in certain ways. Absolutely. So, and it's yeah. interesting because the original game has is way more dependent on dice rolls, which 
on the one hand, people will complain it's more it's more random. It doesn't have, you know, like the randomization. The whole purpose of it being that way was because he intended it for younger kids. And an eight-year-old is not going to beat their 30-year-old parent mm-hmm. unless there's some level of randomization. Yeah. Pretty consistently. Um, whereas this one is a little bit more strategic. You know, it's, it's for an older demographic. And it can be a little bit extra vicious because there's lots of ways to mitigate. So if you don't understand the game as well, it is actually easier to ramp up very quickly and beat against the other player. So it is more balanced, but that also made it a more vicious game. Yeah. And kids are interesting because kids love to get one over on their, oh my gosh. Sure do. They (laughs) sure do. But again, those are emotional reward system. Um, So in, in in a straight Euro, your emotional reward is you found the perfect avenue you you optimize scoring in the best way you, there's a big emotional payoff there let's let's not you know kid ourselves um but it's a it comes from a different trigger and here this is more of like a social or story-based trigger and you just kind of design for them a little bit differently so i think we're just about Towards the end, I don't know if any questions popped up or we're just entertaining and there's no need to question. So <laughs> I think you guys are sufficiently entertaining. Okay, sweet. Um, well, I can just tell you that if uh, if you want to continue to certainly reach each of us on our various social media things. Uh, so here's both for, for me and Julie. Or if you guys have you know great designs that you think we're going to naturally like because this is what we do we'd love to see them. absolutely well in which case thanks for watching everyone <laughs>